Help me welcome everybody tuning in online right now. We're so glad you're with us, wherever you're tuning in from. And I know we've already said this, but anybody in the room that's brand new, I'm just so glad you're here. I'm Russ, I'm on the team here. I'd love to meet you afterwards. And uh, 11.15, how are we doing? How are we feeling? Are you, ca- are you caffeinated? Are you ready? Are you ready for Christmas? Oh, all right. I don't know how to interpret that response, but I, I'm so excited. I think, you know, Generosity Weekend last week and moving into Christmas weekend could not be more fitting because Christmas is a generosity story from beginning to end of God so loved the world that he gave. And I don't know if this has like hit you yet, but a week from tomorrow is Christmas. Some of you, you're just like realizing that. <laughs> like, I need to go shopping. Anybody not done with your shopping yet? Um, yeah, it's gonna, be, it's gonna be a busy week, uh, but I can't believe a week from tomorrow is Christmas, and I don't know how you feel about Christmas. I'm always aware in a room like this that there's people in all different kind of stages of life when it comes to this season. I know some of you, you're so excited because this is a Christmas of firsts. This, I, probably for several of you, this is the first Christmas as a married couple that you're entering Christmas, which is really special, maybe as a couple in general. Uh, I know there's something really special when you're a brand new parent, that first Christmas with a new child. Uh, for some people, we don't think about this a lot, but your first Christmas actually following Jesus and having Christ in your heart makes Christmas feel special and different. Yes, I think it's a lot of you. But I also know for a lot of people, it's the first in another way. For some people, it's the first Christmas without someone, and there's, there's a loss that at this time of the year can feel amplified, or it's, the, it's this time of the year that, you know, your U.S. Surgeon General came out with a report this year that there's like a new epidemic, and it's loneliness. And I think at this time of the year, that can be amplified. People feel disconnected. And so it can, I, I think of it this way. For some people, this time of the year is magical. For others, uh, this time of the year is painful. And then for a lot of you in the room, this time of year is, eh, it's whatever. <laughs> like, it's, it's fine. Like, I'm excited, I guess, but it's busy. It's expensive. I'm ready to get through it. Um, for me, I'll just be honest, every Christmas, at least trying to go home is an adventure. Uh, I, my parents, and a lot of my family still lives in Greenville, South Carolina, and I just gotta tell you the recipe of leaving on the busiest travel day of the year, Christmas Eve, in Ohio weather, with airlines from the last few years, results in always being canceled, almost like every time. Uh, last year, it was uh, no exception. Right after the last Christmas experience, I Ubered straight to the airport, and, and if you travel a lot, you know, like if you start getting those texts, like every 10 minutes, your flight's delayed, another 10 minutes, your flight's, t- you just know you're not going anywhere. Like you're, you're not going anywhere. So I got home late Christmas Eve uh, last year and ended up getting a flight around 2 p.m. to go back. And, uh, and, and so many of you are always kind. You're always like, why didn't you tell me? I would have had you over for Christmas, which is very sweet, but you know, it's, it was probably weird. So I, I woke up. Sorry, these are the things you keep inside. But I I woke up and I had a thought that if you know me may surprise you. I had the thought, I really want to go to Waffle House. Yeah. It's always open on Christmas Day and there's a festive energy in Waffle House. Pastor Jesse cannot believe this moment. There's a festive energy. It's an interesting energy, but it's a festive energy nonetheless. And I like live walking distance somewhat from Waffle House and even though there was snow on the ground, but it was still warm enough, it wasn't freezing, the sun was out. So I walk into Waffle House, I sit down and uh, I gotta pick on Pastor Zach. He always gives me a hard time for not reading fiction. So I had made a commitment that I would begin one of his little fantasy series, either Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Chronicles of Narnia, one of the witchcraft series. 
and I had made a commitment. So I walked into Waffle House on Christmas Day and, and I ordered just a smorgasbord of grease and, and, I'm, and I'm eating this. And as I'm in Waffle House alone on Christmas, reading this fantasy novel, the thought comes to me, Man, this may be the saddest moment of my life. Like this, <laughs> this is, you know. Um, but then a parallel thought occurred as I sat there by myself, able to breathe. The sun just beaming in through the blinds and glistening off the snow. The festive energy in the Waffle House atmosphere. My fork oscillating. <laughs> between chocolate chip, peanut butter pancakes, washed in butter and syrup on my left and hash browns covered, chunked and diced the way God had ended on the right. That this might actually not be the saddest moment but the most glorious moment of my life. But it was still pretty sad. And <laughs> I share that because I don't know what your Christmas season's gonna look like, but you know, it, it, maybe it'll get better than it was or maybe next year will be better. But I had the thought as I'm sitting there <laughs> and I don't know if you ever do this, but I, I just started kind of journaling. I was thinking about, God, I wonder what the plan is for next year. You ever ask, you ever wonder that? Like, God, I wonder what next year is gonna be like. I wonder what the plan is for next year. And then if you're anything like me, I love to give God advice. Here's what I think would be a good plan for next year. You're in control and you say to pray, and I have not because I ask not, I'm not telling you what to do, but here's what I think would be an amazing plan. And uh, he, do you believe that, that God has a plan? I think sometimes it can be kind of cliche, but I really began to think about this idea, does God have a plan? And I don't think there was ever a moment where that question hovered more powerfully than in the first Christmas story. And I wanna start in the classic Christmas passage, Luke chapter one, verse 26, starting there. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, just a little context, Elizabeth was the cousin of Mary, so her and her husband Zechariah, even though they were really old, God had miraculously helped her to conceive and she had in her womb John, who would later be John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. So it says, in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David, that's important. Gabriel, talking about an angel, and it just kind of throws it out casually, Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Don't you just think if you could ever have a moment where like an angel would appear to you and tell you, hey, God's with you, that you would just like never doubt again? Anybody? Okay. I feel that way. And it says this, Mary, confused and disturbed, tried to think what the angel could mean. The angel said to Mary, what angels always say when they scare the daylights out of a human being, don't be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. This is Christmas. But I can only imagine all the different emotions that Mary was feeling. Uh, one, the, the level of awe and majesty and just you know, let's be honest, we kind of take for granted that the Messiah has come. We look back thousands of years after the Messiah has come and kind of take it for granted. She was during a period where they had been looking forward for thousands of years, wondering will the Messiah ever come? And now God spoke and said, the Messiah is on the way and P.S., I'm gonna use you. I mean, I feel like we could talk for an hour about anybody like me ever struggle to see myself the way God sees me? Anybody? 
I can only imagine Mary's like, me? How could you use somebody like me? And then on top of that, her whole world's gonna change, and I'm sure there's so much she's processing, and then not to mention Joseph. This is gonna be an awkward conversation. To tell, I mean, <laughs> the way my mind works, I'm like, I'm sure there's already like an incident where it's like, Joseph already got jealous about the guy that bought me a bagel from Jerusalem Bakery, and now I'm gonna go tell him that I'm pregnant, but don't worry, it's a God thing. Like, that's not gonna go over well. And so she responds to the angel, and I love her response. She just basically says, how? She says, I'm a virgin. She says, how? And I, I've been thinking about this this week, and, and I think in the life of faith, or maybe just in life in general, I'm convinced there's two main questions we always ask, whether externally or internally, and it's this, how and why? I, I think why exists in the past, how exists in the future. I think why is always about the bad, and how is always about the good. I think, think about it, I think in my life, I tend to either be asking, why did that happen, or how in the world is that gonna happen? Anybody else? God, why, would, why did I have to go through that pain? Why did this work out the way it did or not work out the way it did? And this thing I'm believing to happen, how in the world is that going to happen? And the more I thought about it, I think how is short code for what's the plan. Anybody like me just wish God would give more details? I just wish he would give a few more details along the way. Because I think it's just, I see, I see some heads nodding so much, you're gonna need to go to the chiropractor like on Tuesday. But I feel like this is kind of what we struggle with. Like, I, God's gonna help you get to that addiction. Great, how, what's the plan? God's gonna heal your marriage. Great, how, what's the plan? God's gonna help you get into that next incredible season you've been dreaming of. Great, how, what's the plan? Don't you just wish God would give you the plan? Any planners in the room? Okay, I got a fun question. This was really fun in the 9.30. Any couples have a planner and non-planner that make up the relationship? <laughs> like you have a spontaneous person and a scheduled person. You got the spontaneous person. You wanna go to Thailand tonight? I'm down. I'll throw a t-shirt and a toothbrush and a satchel, baby, let's go. <laughs> and then you got the scheduled person. You wanna get soup? Four months from now? Three miles down the road? What, what's the weather gonna be like? What should I wear? Who else coming? How many people are coming? What are we gonna be talking about? What's the agenda? What are your expectations of me when we get there? I need to know the plan. <laughs> Honey, why are you twitching? <laughs> your eyes are beginning to cross. Like, well, I, but I got things in my life that I believe God's gonna do, but I'm just gonna be honest. I don't know how in the world he's gonna do it. And my posture, just to be honest, is God, I trust you, ish. <laughs> but I could trust you a whole lot more easier if you would just tell me what's the plan. And let's not hate on the planners. Thank God for planners. You're the reason we eat vitamins and have societies that function. Like, we would all be on the sidewalk if we weren't for the planners. So thank God for planners. The only problem, and I gotta break it to you, if somebody's like finding therapy in this moment. The only problem is if you always have to know the plan, following Jesus is gonna really frustrate you. Because what I've learned is God loves to give promises, he rarely gives plans. He speaks to Abraham, come, leave your hometown and follow me. Where am I gonna go, what's the plan? Don't worry about that, just follow me. Jesus comes out to these people and tells them to leave their occupations. It's so romantic in our mind. I'm gonna make you fisher of men. Peter, okay, let's just go. He's like, no, no, no. I've had this career for 30 years. You want me to drop it now and just follow a stranger? And some of you, you've been on the verge of following 
Jesus, but you're waiting for all the dots to connect, the questions to be answered, and all of the plans to be given, and Jesus might just be waiting for you to follow him. I I think for me it's because God knows if I had the plan, I would fall more in love with the plan than him, or I'd be terrified, or I wouldn't enjoy the journey with him because I'm so destination-minded. Listen, God will give wisdom when we ask. Thank God. God will give vision if we seek him. Thank God. God will give ideation and inspire creativity. Thank God. But while God loves to give blessings, he rarely gives long-term blueprints. He says, follow me. And so Mary asked the angel, how? And, And look at the angel's response. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, this is awesome, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month for the word of God will never fail. Anybody thankful for that? That is powerful and incredible and respectfully really unhelpful. (laughs) Because the angel didn't answer the question. (laughs) Here's how I wrote it down. The angel answered what, but not how. Mary asked for the plan, and the angel basically said, God has a plan. Can I be honest? I think the only thing more frustrating than not having a plan is when a well-meaning Christian gives you the cliche, God has a plan. You ever been in that moment, heartbroken? God, God has a plan, brother. I have a plan too. I plan to punch you right in the mouth if you give me one more cliche. Like that. I just sometimes I don't like that phrase, God has a plan. I think it's dangerous when powerful truths become cliches. And I think God has a plan can be kind of like, I don't know. I I think, first off, if you're anything like me, sometimes I just start digging into that statement and I'm like, well, what all was part of the plan? Was the pain I went through part of the plan? How about that? And there's a whole lot of trails you could go down. Was that part of the plan, or was it just part of the plan for God to use the pain? Sometimes I don't like the phrase because I think it's used. It's kind of like a Christian version of fatalism. Like God has a plan becomes like our religious version of c'est la vie. Que sera, sera. It is what it is. What will be, will be. We, 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 we use God has a plan to justify apathy and inaction. But what I've learned in my life is for me personally, whenever God has a plan, I have a part. And I think this is important because I wonder sometimes my disconnect is I ignore my part and blame God's plan. Like I wonder how often there is something for me to obey that I would rather pray away. Okay. So Jeremiah 29, 11, I believe the truth with all my heart that I know the plans, God has a plan. The plans, and this is good news for everybody in the room, the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future and not to harm you. Anybody thankful for that? I believe God's plans are for hope and to give you a future and to bless you. But I have a part, so I believe God has plans that I become really close to Jesus that I become close to his heart, that I fall in love with him, that I learn how to hear his voice, that I experience his presence and his power on my life, that I actually become more and more in love with Jesus every day, that my character becomes transformed by the person of Jesus. I believe that's God's plan, but I have a part. 
Because no matter how great God's plan is, I have to follow Jesus. I have to carve out room each day for him to speak into my life and let his word get inside of me and get into his presence so that his spirit can begin to transform me from the inside out. I have to yield to his ways and ignore and refute and deny my ways that are self-destructive. God has a plan, but I have a part. I believe God has a plan to bless my finances. I'll just be honest, I do. I'm not a prosperity gospel person, but I don't believe God's plan is for me to walk around broke and stressed my whole life. I believe God wants me to be financially free with financial peace and margin so that I can be extravagantly generous and leave a legacy behind for people to come and impact the world for the kingdom of God. I got a plan from God, but I also got a part where I gotta steward my money. I've gotta be wise. I've gotta honor God with the tithe so that he has a blessable landscape in which to pour provision. I believe God has a plan for my mental health, for restoring marriages, for restoring health, but every time God has a plan, I have a part. I just think it's easier for me to pray about God's plan than to play my part in the plan. Anybody? It's quiet, I'll move on. I, I just think, I really do believe God has a plan. And I don't think this is ever more evident than in the first Christmas. And, and, and I wanna brace yourself if you don't like history, but I wanna go on a little journey of why I believe God sent his son in the moment he did. In fact, there's an interesting verse, we never really think about this during Christmas time, but just to pause the journey with Mary for a moment, there's a verse in, Galatians, and it says this, Galatians 4, 4 through 5. It says, but when the right time came, can we say that together? When the right time came, can we all say it? When the right time came, because God had a plan, God sent his son, that's Christmas, born of a woman, that's Mary, subject to the law, God sent him, I think this is a really important part for anybody that's been turned off by religion and you think Jesus came to squash your joy and freedom, I love this. God sent him not to buy us, but to free us. God sent him to buy freedom for us, that's good news, who were born slaves to the law so that, even better news, for anybody that feels isolated and alone and disconnected this time of year so that he could adopt us as his very own children. The plan all along was for God never to leave us alone and disconnected and orphaned, but to actually by his spirit bring us into the family of God to be sons and daughters intimately in rich intimacy with God and each other. That was the plan. But when the right time came, that phrase bothers me. Another translation says it this way, when the set time had fully come. So there's a set time for God to come, but why? I mean, anybody like me, I'm just like, I think right after Adam and Eve fell would have been a really good time. And we don't know all the specific reasons. There's a whole theological rabbit trail you can go down of what God was doing to prepare the children of Israel and land and prophecies and tabernacles and temples and systems and the law. There's all these things God was doing, but I wanna bring out three things not only that might, might surprise you, but might build your faith. Because before Jesus came, there was what I wanna call a dark room. See, the last book in the Old Testament, just a little Bible trivia for you, was called Malachi. When you close the book of Malachi, there are four, and I know sometimes you read the scripture, doesn't it just seem like it's all happening like day after day after day? But if you close the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, it is 400 years before you open to the first book in the New Testament in Matthew. 400 years, and theologians, historians call it the 400 years of silence or darkness. This is in a time where there were no Bibles, there were no churches yet. So the way that God would bring light, the way God would speak, 
is he would raise up prophets, men and women of God to speak, and there would be seasons of renewal and revival in the presence of God, but for 400 years, there was no word from God. Scripture says that the lamp had gone dim and that the word of the Lord was rare. It was darkness. The image I get, anybody remember when photography had to be done in dark rooms? There was a 400-year dark room before what Isaiah prophesied of a great light to dawn would come. Before great light was great darkness. But I think God was developing some things in the dark room. One of the things I think he was developing, this may sound odd, is a road system. See, the prophecy was that Jesus would come and that the good news of the world would spread to the ends of the world. Here's the only problem. There was no pathway for news to spread. For thousands of years, I know for us, we just take it for granted. We can hop on 33 and just head straight to Easton. But for all of human history, up until this time, there was nothing but like washed out mud paths that would be blown away by the next storm. But something interesting happened during those 400 years, something called Rome. This empire of Rome came, and one of the many things that Rome did is they developed the world's first road system. In fact, there are many famous ones. There's the King's Highway. One's called the Appian Way. You may have heard of that. I got to go kind of near it when I got to visit a while back. It was developed in 312 BC, and it was a smooth stone, 15-foot wide, 350-mile-long highway. By the time, this is crazy. By the time Jesus arrived, there were over 250,000 miles of road and highways, and that interconnected three different continents. You, you had access to go into three different continents. In fact, have you ever heard the phrase, all roads lead to Rome? It came from this era, because all roads literally were connected to go to Rome. If we had time, and I didn't think it would bore you until you were just jabbing your knee with a straw, we would talk about Pax Romana, the Roman peace, and how this was one of the world's first multiculturally diverse eras where uh, North African regions and Middle Eastern regions and European regions were all united under the same monetary system, same military system, same linguistic system. It was a melting pot of diversity and civilization. And for the first time in human history, there was actually a continental connection and pathways. And it was in that moment that God finally said, I'm gonna send my son to live and to die and to be raised again and to ascend to heaven and to pour out his spirit into the church. And when persecution would come, they're gonna be scattered, but now there's a pathway for the greatest news of the planet to explode to the ends of the earth. Because God always has a plan. Another thing I believe God was developing, it's not just roads. This may sound odd, I think God was developing what would become the cross. I was having lunch with somebody this past week. They were just being honest. They're like, I just, I don't believe. I don't know what I believe about scripture, about God. Help me. You know, let, let's just talk. And, and, and one of the things I told him, I love these kind of conversations. I love how diverse our church is. I don't know if you realize how diverse our church is. And I just love it. Everybody's in different places. And, and, and I told him, I said, there's a lot of reasons I believe what I believe. But one of the things from our worldview is the, the, what I call the self-authenticating nature of scripture especially when it comes to Jesus, that you may not realize this, but over 48 prophecies were given thousands of years in advance that Jesus would fulfill every single one. 
The odds of him fulfilling even eight of them are astronomical. And many of those prophecies had to do with the way he would die. Psalm 22, 16, it talks about his hands and feet being pierced. Deuteronomy talks about cursed is the one who hangs from a tree. The book of Isaiah talks a lot about the suffering servant. It, there's all these predictions about how Jesus will be crucified for our sins. Here's the only problem. The cross didn't exist yet. So thousands of years before the cross even existed, there's all these prophecies about how Jesus would come. You're like, this is not a Christmas message. No, it is a Christmas message. See, you and I are born and die. Jesus was the only one who was born to die. That from the moment he took his first breath, yes, he came to live, teach, do miracles, but he was born with a single mission to add to a Roman cross to bear the sin that you and I can never pay for, to bear our shame with pierced hands and feet and in the wounds of his side to bring healing and life to people like you and people like me. And God just somehow, it just so happened that this group, an evil group of people called the Assyrians began to develop these cruel, unbearable forms of torture one of them being the cross. This would later be adopted by the Babylonians. And then, sure enough, weird coincidence, within the 400-year darkroom period, the Roman Empire adopts the cross because of its pain. Little Bible trivia nerd, and I promise we'll be done with history soon. The word excruciating is literally a Latin word that means out of the cross to describe the unbearable pain that the cross produced. And by the time Jesus arrived on the scene, if you were to be somebody visiting Rome, you would look, and on the outskirts of Rome, you could hear the cries of people dying from crucifixion. That's where Jesus came. What am I saying? I'm saying God even prepared the pain and punishment that the Messiah would have to step into. He was developing things in the dark room. I believe he was developing roads. I believe he was developing the cross. Another thing, I believe he was developing and preparing the people and the place a lot of the prophecies, in fact, I wanna to read to you Micah 5.2. This one's fascinating to me. Again, thousands of years before Jesus, it says this. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Isn't that crazy? How confusing must that have been for somebody to hear that prophecy? You're telling me that there's going to be a ruler, but he's already existed from ancient times. How does that happen? How does God, going back to Genesis 12, speak to a guy named Abraham that he's gonna have a lineage that's somehow gonna explode into hundreds of thousands of people, eventually millions of people that are gonna become the children of Israel who throughout all this time are gonna end up having the lineage of David and somehow God this should encourage somebody, by the way. Even through the mistakes of David, even through the imperfections of people, somehow still was orchestrating mysteriously behind this to bring about a lineage that would have a people that live in Nazareth that would get pregnant, but it would just so happen that there was gonna be a census taken in Bethlehem, so they would just so happen to have to go to Bethlehem, and she would just so happen to be so far along in her pregnancy that she would just so happen to give birth while in Bethlehem. Because God always has a plan. And this should build your faith, not only for your follower of Jesus, to realize how sovereign and powerful God is, but to also realize, I'm gonna be careful here so I don't get so excited and go for another two hours, but I wonder if there's anybody in the room who can also look back at the roads 
and the people and the pain in your life and realize not just how God orchestrated Roman roads and Roman crosses and Roman cities for Jesus to enter the neighborhood, but I wonder if there's anybody like me that can look back on the winding paths that didn't make any sense at the time and that the people I just so happened to have intersected with in the right moment, at the right time, and even the pain that I would have never wished on my worst enemy that he somehow used to bring Jesus into my neighborhood. And I also want to flip this. This is the weight that I feel for today, to remind somebody that feels trapped in a dark room where it seems God is silent and there's little light and little hope. I just got to remind somebody, you have no idea what God might be developing in the dark room. You have no idea what pictures he might be developing for your future. You have no idea what path he might be smoothing out, what people he might be getting ready to right now send into your life tomorrow. And even the pain from yesterday that almost stole your faith, I wonder how he's gonna use it to get you where you need to go. Because God always has a plan. God always has a plan. God, what's the plan? Well, get your pen, I'm gonna tell you. I don't know. I wish I could tell you I knew. It's different for all of us. There's overall plans, obviously. God came to bring peace and joy and freedom. He wants to advance the mission of Jesus all throughout the world. And I believe God has big specific plans of what he wants to do through our lives. But I also wanna remind you, you know, the name, the number one name given to Jesus when he came to earth was Emmanuel, God with us. Can I just tell you if nothing else today? God's plan is to be with you. God's plan is to bring his presence right where you are. His plan is to be with you. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Can I, can I tell you what Mary did? Mary didn't know what to do, but Mary just kept moving. Can I encourage somebody? Keep moving, even when you don't know the plan. Keep moving in the mess. Keep moving through the mess. How about this? Keep moving even when you are a mess. Keep moving, where do I move? What, what do you do when you don't know what to do? I'll give you something quick. Keep moving towards people, towards purpose, and towards Jesus. I don't know where to go. Whatever you do, don't suffer alone and don't be alone. I don't feel like being around people right now. Get around people. I don't feel like being in the presence of Jesus. That's okay, he can handle your anger. Tell him everything you think. I don't know where to go. Just keep taking steps towards purpose. Keep moving towards people. Keep moving towards purpose. Keep moving towards Jesus. And he, I, I, one time, this, none of this is in my notes. But one of the times I was so frustrated because I'm like, Jesus, you said you're a good shepherd and you're gonna lead me and guide me. And then I remembered the verse. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your steps. And I felt like God spoke to me. I know that sounds odd, but I felt like God spoke to me in that moment and said, Russ, your, abil your ability to be led is not on your ability to lead. It's on the shepherd's ability to guide you. Just stay close to Jesus. Just keep going after him. What do you do when you don't know the plan and it hurts? And to be honest, this is why I think Mary's response is even more just impressive. Look at what Mary said when the angel didn't really answer her. Look at it. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. You know what I wrote down? I wrote down, 
the power of Mary is that her yes was bigger than her how. She had a yes in her heart that was bigger than her need to understand all the details. What if, this is just a question, what if my posture is even more important than the plan? What if my posture is even more important than the plan? Anybody have a nativity scene, by the way, in your house? Raise your hand if you've you seen a nativity scene. You know, those cute little romantic uh, Christmas holiday things that are usually in like the, the hall tree. They don't say hall tree in Ohio, do you? Anybody heard of hall tree? Okay, we got, we got three bold ones. Okay. Uh, like in the South, they call it like a hall tree, right, when you enter. Well, my parents always have this like, you know, cute little nativity scene on the hall tree. Nativity scenes are great. There's, they're warm, they're beautiful, they're romantic, they're inaccurate. Um, you know, <laughs> a few things about them that are inaccurate. Some of y'all like hate me right now. I love my nativity scene. Uh, you know, you got sweet little, you know, Mary and Joseph and the baby and the wise men and the shepherds. And it's wonderful. There's just a few inaccuracies. You know, number one, there is no stable. That's not in scripture. Uh, historians believe they most likely were in the side of a cave, not in the middle of a barn. Um, uh, also, uh, the wise men and shepherds could not have been there at the same time, but they're usually at the same time. There is one scene, though, at the very end of the nativity scene that is accurate and that we never talk about at Christmas. When you think about a Christmas story and you think about locations, what do you think about? You think about like Bethlehem, right? Jerusalem, Nazareth. What's the one place you never think about when you think about Christmas? Anybody know the last scene of the nativity scene is when they flee to Egypt. They flee to Egypt. Isn't that crazy? And I started thinking about it. I'm like, you never think about that. You never think... And to be honest, the more I thought about Mary, and I just, I don't know why, I'm not, I'm not Catholic, but I love Mary, but I've never, reading this week, I've never been more impressed with Mary. Because I'm like, no matter what, her posture was just to go. You're gonna tell me that I'm pregnant, but not really explain how? Okay, I trust you. I'm gonna have to end up going to Bethlehem? Okay, I trust you. I'm gonna have to go back to Nazareth? Okay, I trust you. I'm gonna have to flee to Egypt because the king wants to kill all the firstborn? Okay, I trust you. I know this sounds funny, but I thought back to what the angel told her. Remember what the angel told her? Merry greetings, you are highly favored. <laughs> I just thought this week, I was like, I wonder how many times Mary thought back and said, really? I'm, this is favor? You ever thought that? Like, God, I thought you said I was blessed. Anybody thought, uh, the moment I began following Jesus, I thought things would be a little bit easier. I thought if it was God's plan, it would be a little bit smoother. I thought as, I, as long as I like obeyed God and followed Jesus, nothing bad would happen. This is what favor looks like. Are you serious? Anybody ever thought that? But somebody should be encouraged. Anybody that feels like your plans have been one derailed plan after derailed plan after derailed plan after derailed plan, Nazareth to Bethlehem to Nazareth to Egypt again, you are in good company because that was Jesus' family. But I always forgot that Jesus and his family went to Egypt until September when I went to Egypt. Me and my, my father had saved up and he finds these crazy deals and we went to Egypt and to be honest, like all the kind of biblical spots I wanted to see were in the part that was too dangerous to, to visit, like the Sinai Peninsula where Mount Sinai and all that stuff was. And so all week, I, the only thing I was thinking about, I mean, it, it was fascinating. 
We're learning about all the pyramids. You forget that like all of ancient civilization comes out of Egypt. Like we're seeing all these things that are like 3500 BC, like, I mean, ancient. And you forget like all the Egyptians, they created the first hospital. I mean, it, fascinating week. But by the end of the week, to be honest, I was a little tired. I was a little ready to go home. I mean, it was not a vacation. It was get up at like 5 a.m. And I mean, we're just seeing sight after sight after sight every day. And we had taken um, a boat down the Nile. We had flown back to Cairo. And a whole other story, just, I did not like Cairo. But it was our last day in Cairo. Then we were getting ready to fly back home. And so I'm just kind of, it was an amazing trip. But I am so tired. I'm ready to get over with. And then our tour guide, who's a Muslim, he said, uh, also, on the last day, we have something that might interest some of you. He said, I'm gonna, we're going to take you to the cave where Jesus and his family stayed. I was like, what? He's like, yeah. I'm like, you know, how did I forget that Jesus and his family stayed in Egypt, literally in old Cairo? And to be honest, I get a little skeptical in some of these moments. I, I, know, I don't know there's something wrong with me, but I'm just like, okay, is this really? Is this a tourist trap? Is this really where Jesus and the Holy Family stayed? But, and so I asked the tour guide, I said, okay, honestly, like how, how well do they know this is actually, like I wanna know. And he said, no, he said, the Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, and the Muslims all document this is the place. So I began to snap some pictures, they're not great quality. Uh, this is like right outside the Cavern Church in the Martyrs, Sergius and Bacchus. This is inside a very claustrophobic area. Um, this is downstairs towards the cave. And then this is what really got my attention. I don't know if you can read it. This is the well that the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, drank water out of during, no, no, historians don't know exactly when they had to flee to Egypt, but this literally could have been their, their first Christmas. So I don't know what your Christmas looks like. Their first Christmas very well could have been drinking water out of this well in the desert. And I don't know why, but I started thinking about when I was in sixth grade, probably the worst Christmas I ever had, I woke up in the middle of the night screaming, like stomach pain, like just screaming. And I don't know why, it became this thing where I would get sick on Christmas a lot. And I mean, my, I still don't even to this day, I don't remember what was wrong with me. I just know like my Christmas day was spent in the emergency room. My parents had to take me to the emergency room and something was wrong with my stomach, I don't remember. And I know this sounds weird. My mind is just weird, I know, but like six years ago, I was kind of going through a tough time emotionally during Christmas. And I had this thought, I was like, you know, on Christmas, when there was something physically wrong with me, I was able to go to an actual emergency room and sign in. Don't you wish there was an emergency room for the soul? Don't you wish there was a place when your heart is shredded that you could walk in and say, hey, this is my name, these are my vitals, and my heart is in bits. And I don't know what your Christmas looks like. But I know this, as cliche as it may sound, God has a way of using every season and directing every step and guiding his plan. And I don't know how it all works, but I know it works. And this may sound cheesy, but 
The truth is some of you are not in a winter wonderland. You're in a wilderness. You are in a Christmas desert. And some of you are approaching Christmas and you're so excited. And others of you are approaching Christmas and you feel like, I wish there was an emergency room for my soul. But I just want to tell somebody, there is a well with your name on it, even in the desert. That even if you're in a desert for Christmas, God just has a way to get you everything you need and protect you from every harm that's coming your way and to guide you into every next season. If even Jesus spent Christmas in a desert, I'm just telling you, I don't know what next year looks like. I don't know what this moment looks like, but I know this. If we'll just keep following Jesus, God has a plan. If we'll just keep following the North Star of God, he will lead us home. Even Jesus had to go through Egypt. I don't know what the nativity scene of your life looks like. I don't know if it's full of births or deaths or joy or sorrow. I just know this. God is still the author of each of the seasons. And God still has a plan. You're like, I don't see it right now. Yeah, that's the point. I love what Craig Rochelle says. Even when God is silent, it doesn't mean he's not active. I quote it all the time, I'll quote it a million more. I love Charles Spurgeon. He says, even when you can't trace his hand, you can trust his heart. God is developing something in the dark room and you can never see it in the moment. It is only when you look back that you are like, oh wow, he was preparing a road in the middle of the desert. He was preparing a well in the middle of Egypt. He was sending people that I didn't even know I needed. He was using pain I would have never wished for, all to get me to a plan I could have never dreamed imaginable. God has a plan. I wonder what God's developing in the dark room of your life. And I wonder what your part is in the plan. Hey, for somebody whose heart's broken, can I tell you, can I just tell you, for a lot of us, the plan, just be with him. Just be with him. Just take the mess and the brokenness and the jagged edges and the pieces and just be with him. Why don't you stand? I'd love to pray for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. For anybody that feels like, man, you're in Egypt or you're in a wilderness, you just need some hope, you need some strength, you need some peace, you need, you need some encouragement because you don't know the plan. I just want to encourage you, just boldly put your hand in the air so I can see and I can pray for you. Anybody else, a ton of hands. That's you, I just need prayer. I need, I need God to strengthen me. I'd love to pray over you today. God, I just speak peace where there's turmoil. I thank you that you, God, I thank you for Romans eight twenty eight that you have a way to work all things, the good, the bad, and the ugly together for our good and your glory, and I pray you would just let that truth explode in every heart that's weary and discouraged right now. I pray for peace. I pray for strength. I pray for joy. Lord, I pray that this Christmas will be full of an unexpected joy, unexpected moments with you, unexpected peace, unexpected blessings, unexpected roads and people. And I wonder if there's anybody in the room that today, as we talk about the 
miracle of how God prepared the world for Jesus. Maybe this whole morning has been about God preparing your world right now to give your life to Jesus. If that's you, you want to give your life to Jesus right now. No hesitation, bold, hands straight up. That's me. I'm not playing around. This is my moment. I see that hand. Anybody else? This is my, I see several hands. This is my moment, come on, to fully give my life to Jesus. What a beautiful, there could be nothing greater than today to say I am going to step into Christmas week with Christ inside my heart. Any other hands? I love this. Best moment all morning. That's you. I want to give my life to Jesus. Can we all just pray this together as a family? Repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, come on, dear Jesus, I come to you as I am. With all my sin and all my brokenness. And I believe you prepared the world that I might have a savior. And right now I come to you just as I am. I believe you died. I believe you rose again. And I give my life to you. Just tell them, say, Jesus, I give you my life. I turn from my sin and I will follow you all of my days. Thank you for coming inside someone like me and making me whole. In Jesus' name, and amen, and amen. Come on, can we celebrate? Come on. Come on, let's have a party for everybody today that came home and said, today is my day. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I wanna say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.